0: Art Next Door Prepared by Tuche Elan Art Next Door features the independent art scene in Neukölln and Berlin Free scene Community-based art Socially engaged artistic practice Artist-led project spaces Emerging and Young Artists. News and interviews will be broadcast in Art Next Door on Keith FM. Thank you so much for accepting my uh, interview request. This is, I don't know the number of which episode we are now, but this is Art Next Door. (laughs) And I'm very happy to welcome the co-directors and co-founders of Horse & Pony, Rocco Carrick. And uh, as I mentioned, I have very simple questions. I would like you to first start introducing yourself before we start talking about Horse and Pony.
1: Cool. Well, thank you so much for inviting us. Um, and it's a pleasure to talk tonight. Um, Rocco Ruglio Miserel and co-founder of Horse and Pony, along with Karik here. And um, yeah, originally from the US and we've both been together in Berlin for 12 years now, which is very ex- Exciting and puzzling at the same time.
2: <laughs> and I'm Carrick Bell, also co-founder and co-director of Horse and Pony. Um, I'm also an artist and from Alaska. Uh,
0: so did you also start uh, the Horse and Pony 12 years ago when you first moved? So how did it started?
2: No. So we moved here 12 years, like 12 and a half years ago now almost. Um, we moved here... We'd been trying to figure out a way to come here for a year and then Rocco got a Fulbright stipend actually. Um, So we moved here in the fall of 2009 and pretty quickly thereafter decided that we like wanted to stay. So while a lot of Rocco's like stipend cohort were using the year to write their theses or do like whatever research they were doing to finish their thesis, Rocco and I were intensely looking for a space that we could move into after that year Mm -hmm. Um, and we started the space well the first show was in 2013 but we we got the space in 2011 Mm -hmm. um, in the fall of 2011 and then we had like a renovation period and for about a year and a half we just used the whole thing as studios because we just wanted to sort of after really intense Renovation period where we did most of the physical work ourselves. We wanted to just like get to know the space a bit um, and live with it a little bit before we started trying to figure out how to put on shows in it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we were in 2006
1: to 2008, both of us were in Chicago at the School of the Art Institute in a grad program. And, um, you know, we had a great experience working and like kind of becoming artists within this community. And I think that's part of the great thing about Chicago is that it fostered that kind of scene. But a lot of that was through the schools and the school system. And by the time we came out here, we were a little bit, you know, kind of like ready to kind of start something on our own. And while we did have, you know, I had a scholarship with the Fulbright, but Rather than like trying to attach ourselves to an existing institution here, we started to think about ways like how can we build a network, build a community ourselves, which got us like really into this space. Well, if we want to, you know, build it ourselves, then we need to, you know, build that, that platform where we can all connect and part of that was really making something sustainable that we can grow throughout the years. That. Um, you know, included not only the exhibition, but like also like studio spaces for ourselves and kind of a broader um, kind of layered idea of community. Like, you know, we have a very tight studio family here that's been together now many years, um, which is also like kind of the unseen part of what we've been doing at Horse and Pony. Mm-hmm.
2: Or like the part that People will see when they're looking for the bathroom in *Horse and Pony*, and they accidentally open the door and discover that there's like an explosion of studio spaces behind it. (laughs) 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 Like, no, 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 that's not. We should
0: write something like *Private*, but then it's much more. But that just goes
2: exactly. (laughs) 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 I mean, yeah. To that point, also like the initial idea you know, with having the apartment in the back was, our hope is that we could actually have it be a space that had studios and a residency and the exhibition space. Just to like layer one even other mode of sort of operating and like creating connections, we had this idea that we could have it be a space where somebody from somewhere outside of Berlin could come and live for a fixed period of time and like mount a show or something in the space, which um, we actually couldn't do because the apartment that we were living in, the owner took for Agam mm. Um, So we lost that and then we had to move in here, mm. which in the end was probably for the best, but like we yeah. just had this idea of like, okay, how many different, how many different ways can we like use the same space? Like how many different relationships can the same f- space foster, you know, mm-hmm. between studio mates and outside guests and then like the exhibition space and then a public. Yeah, room. and also like at that time, you
1: know, Noikone like artists were just starting to break into Noikon, like really at Hermann Platz, and this was like deep Noikon. So we were like, Will anyone even come here? Like we were The deep really, quotation marks. Yes. <laughs> scare quotes, square quotes. Very deep Noikon. And we're like, Will people visit us? This is like on the edge of the city. So we really thought we had to do like everything to bring people in. Um, so we were brainstorming all kinds of ideas. Um, But actually, of course, like, you know, the neighborhood just blew up very quickly. So the idea to, like, kind of have a residential component was also more challenging as the time went by. And and that the neighborhood actually kind of got a lot of attention Mm -hmm. and a lot of people moved down here.
0: Hmm. That's true. Things have changed very rapidly. No, I'm only living for five years in Berlin. I can even see how Neukölln has changed in a good and bad way. It's just uh, both ways, you no? Know? It's just also, uh, rent went up um, and just gentrification started for sure. But some places are still resistant, resilient and resistant uh, for this, like a gentrification situation. Mm-hmm. So this part of my is is still kind of untouched in a bit, a little bit maybe.
2: It's. I feel like it's, you know, you start to see things like, around the corner, a place that's like, it looks like an Instagram cafe, not that Instagram cafe, but a new one that's like a bakery in progress. Where you're like, I don't, like you see things are like, definitely businesses are turning over with like a different clientele in mind than maybe what businesses that have been here before were catering to. So you see these changes I think, but like this little island has definitely been slower than like, Schiller Keats or Karl maxplatz and like Karl max Strasse. And I think it's because like there was this key moment when Schiller Keats really was just like flooded with people and the U8 was down for like a year and a half. And so people didn't come down beyond Bodenstrasse because the U8 didn't come past mm. there. Mm. And I think. It just was like a dam. It like diverted this flood of people that was coming down the U8 and it just diverted them like into Schillerkiez and over to karl Strasse and kind of, you know, this little island between the S-Bahn and, you know, the cemeteries on all sides was like protected a little bit. Yeah. When we embraced that as well, like we've
1: never had really strong public signage out front and we've always been a little bit more low key with any kind of like storefront publicity. Mm-hmm. Um, just to keep that kind of neighborhood vibe a little bit more mm-hmm. low-key. Mm-hmm. And I think it's only really been the past year and a half, two years where our street itself has had more storefront presence, like more businesses, um, which it's a double-edged edge sword. I mean, of course it's nice to have like a restaurant next door and food across the street, and we have much more um you know, passerbyers coming in to seeing what's happening, and yeah. uh, visitors who've never heard of the space randomly coming in, which is great. But then, of course, on the other side, you know, the neighborhood is getting priced out, and the sort of popularity of going to Tempelhof as a park is is definitely like you know we're connected to that now.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. So you said you moved in in two thousand eleven, but the first exhibition was in thirteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then. There is already like an eight years of like an accumulation of uh, exhibitions mm-hmm. and then events. So what was, the, what was the starting point? Did you think of a specific focus uh, in the projects or things are evolved uh, throughout the time uh, in terms of artist selection, curation and inviting artists?
2: Is it was a really, I mean, I think the space developed pretty organically. Um, because like the physical characteristics of the room are so strong. I'm actually, I'm realizing that whenever we talk with people about the space, we're usually in it. And (laughs) now that we're in Rocco's studio and I look around, I realize I don't have any of the like regular things that I can point and gesture at. But you know, like the, the variety of tiles and all that stuff up front, like it's such a strong physical character that like the idea of having a really specific program in the beginning didn't really make sense to us because it seemed like the program was the space in a way, like the, the guiding constraints were like, how can you make work that functions in this space when the space has so much going on visually already? And we started very close. Like the, the initial programming, like the first show ever was this artist duo, Nightmare City, um, who are really good friends and like Rocco had met on a residency Two years prior, and they were studio mates at the time. and They put on a show that was actually mostly in the basement. There's still actually remnants of that show under the stairwell <laughs> in the basement. Too. They're the only artists to have an installation under our stairs, and part of it is still there. <laughs> they had like a video on like this Barbie pink TV screen. I think it was actually Barbie branded TV screen. Um, so it started like that close and that intimate and in how we were programming it. And it actually stayed that way for the first like year or two, I would say there was another artist, um, Hannes Riberitz, who has like an itinerant project called remove requirement and what he would do. Each one would take place in a different location that he was able to secure. And he would invite somebody else to curate the show and they would work together and it would be usually just for the weekend. Um, but we, had been friends before we even started this space, and we talked about maybe hosting a few of these projects of his in Horse and Pony, which was, like, a nice mix of, like, still working really intimately with somebody that we had, like, an established relationship with because we had known him for several years, but at the same time bringing in people who were then further outside of our social circles because, like, there was already such a remove. Like, we invited him, who invited somebody else, who then would carry a show with other people. So it was a nice way of, like working really closely with somebody who was just a friend, but also like expanding and like meeting people that we otherwise wouldn't have and bringing people that we otherwise wouldn't have known into the space. And like, (laughs) we've actually worked now multiple times with um, Fran Gavin, who was like one of the people that Hannes invited to curate. So like some of these really early exhibitions that like felt sort of like, they weren't just friend shows, but like they started from a place of like, start close and work out from there. And it was interesting to see how quickly that can get like really far away from any sort of like close social circle.
1: Yeah, I think we we also like really quickly noticed in Berlin that there were a lot of international artists here, but many of them were showing outside of the city, Mm. right? That there was this big like kind of, you know, have your studio in Berlin, it's really cheap here, but then export all of your exhibitions to where you get your funding from your like, you know, country of origin. Or you know some other opportunity, but there were just so many artists working in that model that they were exhibiting outside of the place where they were working. That we had like kind of a really great opportunity that there were tons of artists that we were very close with, like that we were friends with. So we didn't have to think of that broader broader program, other than like actually just building out the space itself and thinking about what physical characteristics we wanted to keep in that would also challenge. People that we invited and give them different kinds of constraints to work with, like being a non commercial gallery, you know, we'd have put on no pressure in terms of like producing work that could sell, but we did put on the constraints that, you know, we we didn't want and we did challenge uh, people throughout all the years to, you know, really think about how their work exists with the space, avoiding it becoming like sort of a white cube or whitewashed space and, and thinking about, um, yeah, building that dialogue too and thinking outside of, you know, any kind of like commercial constraints.
0: Talking about that tiles and then just challenges, mm-hmm. do you know the history of the space? What was it before?
2: In the very beginning when it was built, which was like, um, I think it was 1911 or 12 or something. It was like early 19 teens. Um, it was a butcher shop. It was actually. Oh, I'm bl- it was uh, the street was Strasse actually before World War Two, and I was never able to find like I was able to find like what the street what the house number was, but I wasn't able to find like in a business register what I went I went. <laughs> <Whoa>. that <laughs> that was, like, <laughs> we tried to find the, the <laughs> so, <records>. originally on um, <laughs> um No, so I couldn't find like a registration for what the business was, but it, it was a butcher shop. And like um, people have also confirmed that like having this like completely tiled room and these like you can the tiles that we have up front was like very typical for that kind of space. And then we don't really know over the course of the 20th century what happened with it, but then. In the early 21st century, like early 2000s, it was a dünne manufaktur. And that was, that, was like the, that was the tenant in the space directly before us. There was like a five year gap or so. Um, I'm not really sure how long they were here. Mm-hmm. But we actually still have um, like the, the dünne spieß labels from this company. They were called Unda And, you know, like in our apartment back here where our couch is now, was like a walk-in size closet. That was where they stored all the bulk spices for the dinner. So that's like, we moved the door from that to the bathroom. So that's why the, it says Gewurzraum, because that was the closet door for, for their spice room. <laughs> okay. And we still have like the showers that they had, because they installed side-by-side showers. So like after a shift, people could just like rinse off and not like mm. bring dinner home with them in that way. <laughs> um, so we still have like a lot of the like, you know, remnants, remnants of. of like the most pre- um, directly previous tenants of the space too. Nice.
0: But I mean, the tiles are just so so beautiful and yeah. mm-hmm. so strong it's just so challenging. You're right when you're saying that. For artists, it's just like okay, I, were there any artists they were saying that, okay, this is what I cannot do with these tiles. I cannot just present my
1: work here.
0: Did you have anything with like
1: this? I mean, I think the biggest challenges we've had were with people that didn't see, I don't even know if it happened more than once, but people who haven't seen the space in person before thinking about Mm. an exhibition here. So I think that like, you know, we were fortunate enough with most of our collaborators to like talk in the space and to like develop the exhibitions over time. But then in few cases, I think when we, you know, where where some of the like physical elements or like that physical presence of the space, um, you know, that's where you've had to work a little bit more closely during that actual install Mm -hmm. time to think about, like, how we can put it together.
2: We've had some shows where, like, the work had to be installed, like, three or four times because I think what we sort of learned over time is that, like, even though it seems like there's a lot going on in the space and it's really noisy and that, like, an understated hang would work best with that, like, a more sparsely installed show would play with that kind of energy better. What we've started to learn is that actually, like, you just have to, like, meet that energy with the same energy. So, like, <laughs> really noisy shows actually do really well because, like, then that sort of, like, assemblage of things can, like, counterbalance all the different stuff that's happening in the room. Mm-hmm. But I think before we really learned that, there would be shows where like, okay, we're going to have, like, a really precise, specific, minimal hang where, like, it'll be a, you know, a five-person show and each person will have one work. And then, like, you know, it has to be trying to balance that is so so challenging when there's so much going on in the room. Yeah, that's so a that, much harder like, show to yeah. do
1: than, you know, than the
2: big loud dynamic yeah. ones or
1: ones that actually work explicitly off of specific elements of the space like, you know, like this show we have 77 artists, like the first ones we've done were ones that really need to be in a specific spot. And then the rest of the show comes together. Mm -hmm. But the most difficult shows have been actually on the technical level, more easy to install, but, uh, but without those constraints, it becomes a really delicate place. Like how do you give everything like kind of
2: equal weight if it is all a little bit more subdued? Yeah. If you just have like, here's six 2d works, there's no, like they can go anywhere. Like we also, I think as people, you hang shows like we need some sort of like um, like friction or something to like latch onto as like an initial. I'm not gonna make a cheesy like pearl metaphor, but like we need something like that sticks so that we can like build a hang around it. Mm-hmm. And when it's just like yeah, when it's like you said like a smaller, easy to install show, there's no sort of like external force making you put something somewhere, and then it becomes really challenging. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it was also something we've grown
1: into. Like yeah. initially, Carrick's Studio was up front for a number of years, mm-hmm. so we really like the had... first half almost of the spaces as mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. So it was really like the first room and the basement were really dedicated gallery space, and then the second room had a little bit of a back room vibe. For the first couple of years, we had couches there, and we we had like initially thought of having a little bit of a laid back. Feeling to it, though it goes totally against our work ethics, which took over, and I think that's why year after year we slowly got rid of couches. We slowly moved Carrick's studio desk into like a corner, <laughs> and, and, then, um, things yeah, things. and then yeah, and then and then ultimately Carrick got their own studio, and that was um, you know definitely a moment where we can give the whole front space. Uh, you know, dedicated to the gallery itself. yeah and I think that that moment I think was a, a transitional point for us, I think about four years ago or so mm-hmm. like that we yeah, I think at that point too, we started working more with curators and sort of distributing roles like you know, we've always wanted to work with curators or invite artists to organize shows. like it was never about us. Um, kind of, like, leading on that level, necessarily. However, we learned that, um, you know, it's just a great way to extend our network and then also to help with some of that workload, thinking about, like, how to put put together a show and the artists and how it could come together in the space.
2: And also, kind of like Rocco said earlier, where, like, you know, there's this, like untapped is like a weird way of saying it it's more like unserved (laughs) underserved like a community of artists here who like are making great work but like don't necessarily have visibility i think there's a similar thing with you know all the people who have like the underpaid jobs and galleries here are like talented freelance curators (laughs) who just like don't have the possibility to put on shows here and so we also around that time like four or five years ago started working with like with a lot of people who were like freelance curators in the city but who had like you know they were also tapped into the same group of artists and like were had great ideas but just didn't have physical space to like put those shows on and so that became a primary way of working for a while actually was like extending the space through these uh collaborations with freelance curators
0: from there actually the question would be then economically how we sustain the space so this is also Partially your living space, and then you're also, or is it correct to just define this also how you manage to just fund the projects? This is more adequate question. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, the, the the project spaces has this like a kind of uh, flexibility. Sometimes artists are just say that, you mm-hmm. know what, I want to test things. I don't need the funding. I, I'm gonna just install something because I want to see how it looks like from outside my studio and I just want to interact with the audience and but then sometimes it needs your production budget sometimes mm-hmm. you need to pay artists because it's also like that. we don't want to abuse the labor of the artist even though we are also working in the small limited budgets. so how it has been for you guys to just sustain the space with the projects as well did you get managed to get fundings or were the artists bringing their fundings already yep. half over
2: so until twenty nineteen, we had no funding. We never received any funding, um, which I guess is actually so our first, <laughs> our first six years, <laughs> five and a half years, um, and there were like, there were several exhibitions during that period that did have some form of public funding, but it wasn't German. It was usually from whatever country one or several of the artists were coming from. They were able to secure funding from their home country, um, and that would be used to pay like. An artist fee for them, and maybe production, or like to travel to like fly somebody else out for a show. So there were shows that did have public funding, but um, not that we had been able to secure. And so for the first, yeah, whatever that was, five and a half years or so, you know, we were both working full time for most of that. Um, and so we paid the rent for the space for ourselves, and basically like we would pay all the install costs and do all of the press and all of that stuff. But that was. That was the extent of how the space was funded. Um, you know. But we did have, like, we initially got the space through a program
1: um, called Co-op List that helps artists and small businesses find storefront spaces that weren't able to be rented out otherwise on the open market. So the this nonprofit organization helped us negotiate a contract that had, like, a step-up um, rent program. So basically, we started at like a no rent uh, situation where we only had to pay the running costs, which helped Carrick and I like free ourselves a little bit in terms of like that, having that financial burden directly on us. And it took, it gave us the amount of time to kind of start a little bit more lean financially and then eventually kind of grow into having a real rent. Um, So that put a little bit of the pressure off of us. That's true. But, um, but you know, we put in you know, basically labor ourselves, like volunteer labor, and then basically hoped and got actually a really good response from artists and curators that did the same. You know? So we've always been conscious in trying to be respectful of what we ask of others. Um, but we've had amazing exhibitions where people have put in you know, so much effort and generosity without funding, um, which is a beautiful thing to happen. Um, But then on the flip side, I think that there has been over the years more pressure to, you know, pay artists to get funding, to not, you know, um, push those limits too much. And, you know, while we're support of that, it is hard to kind of, you know, once you get funding, it's hard to to maintain that stability because while we have great funding opportunities in the city, it is, um, it's not guaranteed that it will necessarily be forever, right? There's limitations also. So yeah,
0: it's true. I mean, it's just most of the fundings in Berlin are project based, not to, Yeah. Mm-hmm. until recently. Like yeah. when three years ago, Berlin Senate so introduced the new basis for the yeah. for the project spaces, which was already mm-hmm. a long term negotiation between the network of the uh, like a project spaces. No, so when you look at this, like a transition of this, like a free scene in. Berlin, is uh, it has its own history, but at the same time, yeah, this is mostly project-based funding, so you have to just put a lot from yourself. Yeah. So that's why there's mm-hmm. artist studios at the same time, sometimes uh, the front part is the exhibition space and back is always a kind of a studio space this is uh, yeah. this is also kind of a little typical mm-hmm. now this is something that I started to realize that mm-hmm. this is the way that you can really give a space for fellow artists
1: exactly and it also helped us you know like we can establish the gallery and the studios and also for us our private residents at, and at one time and it like lowers that burden of like setting up three distinctive spaces and you know just kind of cutting our part a time our times apart between the three even more so so having it all in one place having a space where we can like spill out the studios into the gallery if we're not programming there um that fluidity just helps a lot too
0: and what are the plans for the future because now we actually we are doing this interview at the very last day of the current show just can you just tell a little bit about this this show which is closed but there will be documentation on the website for sure Mm -hmm. and then it is marking a certain stage of horse and pony no
2: yeah so this show it's actually the third of our like this whatever second year of COVID, (laughs) we weren't really sure. We had like a very specific plan also that we applied for bosses filtering with um, of what our programming was going to be from 2020 to 2021. And obviously, you know, that didn't really take shape the way we had envisioned, but the way things eased up this summer, we were able to do two shows that like had been sort of curatorial ideas that each of us had been like kicking around for a while and we wanted to be able to to put on a group show about. So Rocco had a show in June called Hell Yes. Um, It was about sort of like aggressive optimism, uh, happy hardcore of shows in a way. And then um, I had a show called Nowhere that I carried in September that was like a melancholic cruising show. (laughs) Um, And so this was sort of like already like a bit of a capping like gesture of us, like things that we'd wanted to do in the space for a while but hadn't been able to. Um, and then because we're going to transition the space to a different kind of program model soon, we had wanted to do one show basically celebrating like all the people who had gone through the space in the past eight years, all of our previous collaborators. Um, so we invited everyone who's ever shown here, uh, to take part in a group show called Stampede. It ended up being an invite list of like 160 or so. And there's a little under 80 in the show itself. including like 12 or 13 video artists and then like, I think 60-ish people with like physical objects in the space.
1: And we always wanted to do one huge clusterfuck show. Like I think that's always been
2: like, at some point we're just gonna
1: go wild. We have so much space here. So, you know, but this was actually the right moment and we needed to work with all the artists to be able to, I mean, Carrick kudos, did most of the logistics in terms of getting everyone's work in and coordinating with everybody, Um, but I don't think that could have been done if we hadn't had those relationships, you know, already established. Yeah. And knowing yeah. the work well, too, because even though it is a clusterfuck and a fun, dynamic group show, uh, we wanted to build relationships between the work and also kind of not just the work as, as they kind of came to us through curation, but also relooking at new work and building relationships between pieces, between artists that have never worked together before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a fun challenge in that way.
2: Yeah, it was a clusterfuck, but it was also a bit of, like, a reunion in a way. Like, a lot of the work was picked up. Like, I just, like, every day for three weeks went to a different studio and picked up work. <laughs> and a really nice thing was, like, picking up work and having people be like, oh, I saw this person's going to be in the show. I haven't seen them in so many years. Like, it was it was really nice to see that, like, also, you know, there's this idea of, like, oh, the space was to, like, make community, which in some ways is, like, make we wanted to, like, build a community for ourselves, but it's also... Putting this show together was a really nice way of seeing, like, oh, this is also, like, completely distinct from us. Like, bonds have been formed between people who have shown in the space who may be, like, they weren't in the same show, but, like, you know, they went to a show after the show they were in, and they met one of the artists who was there, and they became friends, and they've, like, worked together since then. So it was nice to see these sorts of relationships have popped up, like, as a result of the space, but kind of, like, completely distinct from any relationship we have with them. And I think it's also like a moment of this time because as
1: I as we're like when we first got to Berlin and we saw everyone like shipping their work and leaving the city, <laughs> you know, now we've all been stuck in the city together for 2 years. So it was also like kind of the right moment to yeah. be like cuz you know, we have been um kind of in this together in a way and but but apart of course too. So I think that was the right moment cuz we've all been like really yearning to be together in the same room and to like reconnect and keep
2: those dialogues going. Yeah, so that's the show now. And then what's happening after, actually like we get our first delivery of materials for what's happening after tomorrow morning. The front room of the upstairs space is gonna be converted into a screening space called Xanadu. Um, which will be a space that primarily is showing artist moving image work with like weekly program screenings, but we'll also have like a broader sort of general time-based format. So talks, performances, readings, um, and then Horse and Pony will continue in the basement, um, primarily with like one, two person shows. Um, And the idea there is that we can like, you know, the shows will be more intimate spatially, but also we will have a more sort of like hands-on approach when we're organizing those shows because it'll just be like us and the artist or artists. Um, and that's something that will happen a bit later. We're going to take a brief pause for Horse and Pony so that we can focus on Xanadu and then start doing Horse and Pony shows again, probably in the fall or winter. Mm,
0: it's exciting. It's a, what a complete change, of course, because the room will be transformed. But well, what about the tiles? <laughs> the tiles
2: will also be there. Um, a lot of them maybe will be covered with self-made acoustic paneling to try to um, deal with the very messy acoustics of that space. Um, but even if they're covered, they'll still be there. Like, nothing will be removed. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna f- be, they'll, they'll be
1: framing devices rather than, like, full yeah. coverings.
2: I mean, I think, speaking about, like, community and networks, like, the way that we got to know a lot of the neighbors in our building um, wasn't from, like, this like, way back in 2011. It wasn't from, like, being annoying, loud renovators, which, unfortunately, we also were. It was because when we were working in the front space and we had the door open to like air out dust and stuff, people would just stop by and unprompted like stick their head in the door and be like, you're not gonna get rid of those tiles, are you? Don't get rid of those. Those are important. And they'd be like, we're not not getting rid of these. We're not getting rid of the shitty ones either. We're keeping them all. Like like (laughs) the tiles
1: actually drew so much attention that we covered the windows explicitly to get people to stop asking us if we were gonna get rid of those tiles. Wow. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, this, these moments too are the reason why we, we wanted to make the change as we did because, you know, we have an iconic space in terms of like having these very distinctive elements and we've encouraged people to work with them. And, you know, Carrick and I had that conversation, like, are we gonna just continue working this way forever? Or if we need to pivot how and when, And we just decided like we should pivot while we're at a high moment, like while we've continued to just go at it project after project and to do it in a celebratory way rather than letting anything fizzle. So we've had artists like really draw from the space and draw from different ideas. Um, We've had artists like, you know, replicate the tiles and integrate them into their work um, going that like explicitly into the to responding off of the space and um, yeah we thought like you know now's the great time to just change the format mm-hmm. so that's still possible but in a very very different way
0: I'm curious about the
2: neighbors when they see that they're covered and <laughs> just get rid of them <laughs> well I think actually <laughs> luckily the I mean I think it's the white tiles on that sidewall that'll be covered a lot The Jugendstil ones are actually the tiles where the screen will be in front of those. So they'll still be like pretty prominent visual features. Yeah, I think, I mean, I imagine them framing the screen itself. So
1: it will, you know, that's how it looks so far, but I guess we have to see once the... (laughs)
2: Yeah, no, I can imagine a lot of things about how the space will look when it's converted, but I don't actually know what it really will look like because it's all very hypothetical right now. (laughs) but it'll we'll be very real in like two weeks.
0: <laughs> so it so will finish by two weeks?
2: No, that's, I mean, we start, my, my thinking is it'll probably take a couple weeks to get all of the work out of the space from this show. The last large group show we did was in 2019, and we still have some work from that show that artists have not picked up. So, <laughs> so I'm pretty sure like it'll take a week or two to get all of this work out of the space, and then like the sort of messy build-out will start then.
0: So when is the first screening scheduled? Do you already have the plan?
2: The first screening actually, it's also will be the first um, sort of outing of Horse and Pony as a basement-only space, um, which we're doing as part of this exchange uh, called Five by Five, which is this artist-run network in the US called Tiger Strikes Asteroid. They have five sort of affiliate spaces in different cities and five Berlin project spaces will be hosting each of them. So we're working with TSA LA from Los Angeles, and we'll have um, some of the members who run that space will be in the show, and they've also invited a couple artists um, from Berlin and Vienna to participate. So they'll be in Horse and Pony, and then we offered up Xanadu to host a screening for all five spaces that'll be sort of like a lo- programmed alongside the exhibitions and the other spaces. So that's the first thing, and it's like in mid-March. I think it's like the I don't know the exact dates, but I can yeah. send them to you after to go and program notes <laughs> <laughs> cool. um, yeah and then from there it, we're just sort of off and running so I think the idea is to have weekly programming in the space through the summer. Um, we also have an open call oh. for Xanadu which will be for the 2022 2023 program, which is both you know an open call for monographic screenings of artists who want to propose like a screening of all of their work and also an open call for programming proposals mm-hmm. for either single or series screenings.
0: And then is this call uh, available on the website? Yeah. Cool.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's linked in the bio of the Xanadu Instagram, which is Xanadu underscore Berlin.
0: Anything that you would like to add before we close our little interview? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I feel like I've already talked so much.
1: (laughs) I think we covered a lot in a small amount of time. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was very
0: lovely to hear the stories and the development of Horse and Pony and the future of Xenadu. Yeah, thank you so much for having us.
1: Thank you.
2: My pleasure.
0: If you like my podcast series, you can support and buy me a coffee, buymeacoffee.com slash Tuce, T-U-C-E. See you in the next episode. Bye. Art Next Door, prepared by Tuce Eren. Art Next Door is a monthly radio show on Kit FM and a podcast series at Anchor FM.